it just seemed like I kind of went from this really entry level to feeling like I was three or four years out of PT school in a span of three to four months. Like I just, this confidence and ability to piece it all together was just so much easier after kind of going down that route because they really went through and fine tuning your skills with Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Business of PT podcast. I'll be your host, JT Moore. In this podcast, we will be interviewing successful physical therapists and learning about their stories in the field of PT. We will discuss a variety of topics such as entrepreneurship, careers, and pathways in physical therapy, as well as important characteristics in becoming a great PT. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you liked it, make sure to subscribe to get updates when new podcasts are released. Thanks, everyone. Hey, everyone. Big news. The Business of PT podcast would like to announce its first sponsor, the PT Hustle. Make sure to check it out. Here's a short ad from our sponsor, and we'll get you to the new episode. What's up, listeners of the Business PT podcast? This is Dr. Kyle Rice, also known as Coach K, founder of the PT Hustle. And we help PT students and new grads make the final transition into their dream job or entrepreneurial life by helping them dominate the NPTE. We know the best entrepreneurs and PTs weren't necessarily the best test takers. And that's why the PT Hustle specializes in helping non-traditional students and those who have failed the NPTE before. So you can learn more about us at thepthustle.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast with my friend JT Moore. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Christian Parmley with us. Kristen is a physical therapist and is a certified orthopedic manual therapist from both the Manual Therapy Institute as well as the Ola Grimsby Institute. She's a clinical instructor and works in the outpatient orthopedic slash sports settings with a focus on spine-based manual therapy. Kristen, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to be able to talk to you a little bit about your background and your story um, for background for the audience. Um, both me and Kristen work together and she's been a great help to me early on in my career right now learning. Um, but Kristen, would you be able to start, um, introduce yourself to the audience, give a little background of yourself? Sure. Um, so I guess I was one of those people that didn't necessarily know I wanted to, to be a PT when I got out of high school. So I kind of started a different path. I went and got an engineering degree. So I have a undergrad engineering in mechanical and biomedical and then was kind of still wanting to go that route at the time and was looking into biomedical programs and just kind of coincidentally uh, met with a professor dean of a program and kind of asked me if it would be something I was interested in. And I could start kind of right away instead of waiting years to do biomedical. So I kind of went the PT route, figuring I could still use the information I learned from PT, kind of how the biomechanics, how the body worked, and kind of use that to help develop and at the time, I thought I was going to go into prosthetic research and design um, that I could still use the kind of movement analysis I learned in PT to help with my kind of design of, of the prosthetics that I hopefully had enough information from undergrad to kind of combine the two fields. And so that's kind of how I got into PT. And then when I got out, found that there was not really a big opportunity and market in the United States. So I actually liked PT. So I kind of went that route in the end. 
There we go. Yeah, that's definitely like a, a unique one. I feel like I, we haven't heard too many of those where you have yeah. PT as a as a stepping stone to something else in the future. But yeah, obviously it's worked out so that you've continued to to grow and and learn a lot, a ton in your career. Honestly, to be able to teach all of us. Yeah, um, yeah I wanted to know as far as so once you entered the entered the PT field, you decided mm-hmm. to kind of pursue and gain more knowledge in your manual skill set. What went into that decision making and why did you decide to pursue more of kind of continuing education in that line? So when I took my first job, one of the um, companies I was interviewing with had a COMT program with uh, the Manual Therapy Institute. And that was something that I could just do through the company. So on top of, you know, comparing other offers and different things that kind of having that opportunity seemed like a really good route for me. Uh, cause I just felt like as much as I felt pretty good with my manual, I just knew that there was still more that I could improve on. And that was a really easy way to just kind of transition to that after school. Um, so I went that route and I think that being able to do something like that, which probably at this day and age is very similar to a residency, although residencies were not a thing when I got out of school. So that's how old I am. Um, there, it just seemed like I kind of went from this really entry level to feeling like I was three or four years out of PT school in a span of three to four months. Like I just, this confidence and ability to piece it all together was just so much easier after kind of going down that route. Cause they really went through and fine tuning your skills with diagnosis, treatment, um, interventions, like, uh, some, the Ola Grimsby one does a little bit more into the science behind why you prescribe exercises and how you do it. So even the treatment part of it, as opposed to just the manual base, they it's as much as it is manual heavy and you learn a lot of techniques and performing and fine tuning those techniques. You also spend a lot of time in being able to diagnose because as much as those manual techniques are important, unless you can diagnose the right injury or the right pathology that's going on, those manual skills aren't going to get you anywhere because you're not treating the right thing. So they really also spend some time and quality time trying to get you to be a little bit better at treating and diagnosing both. Gotcha. Yeah, no, that, that's perfect. And that, yeah, I, I, without, if you have one skill, but not the other, it's not going to be very useful. I would say right. So you need definitely need both of them. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, and so another follow-up that I wanted to ask from that is that you completed the COMT from both the Manual Therapy Institute and Ola Grimsby. And you kind of highlighted it there a little bit that they had some differing components to each of those. Could you elaborate a little bit more on those? And honestly, first off, to some of the listeners that don't know, what is a COMT? And if someone's interested in that, I'm pursuing and kind of increasing their manual skill set, how do they go about doing that? So there are multiple ones approved through the APTA with different companies um, and Ola Grimsby and Manual Therapy Institute are just two different ones. And I'm sure there are, I'm sure Stanley Paris has one. I'm sure there's multiple ones out there. Um, And so basically COMT just means certified orthopedic manual therapist. And so typically it can range anywhere from a year and a half to two years of a program where you typically meet every six weeks, eight weeks or so every couple months. And then you have a midterm examination, both oral and written, and then a final exam to be able to demonstrate the skills that you learned. So it's 
basically like being back in PT school. It's very similar to that. Um, and then basically everything you learn in the program, plus everything that they feel like you should know from PT school is fair game. So those are, that's what you have to do for your written test. And then typically the oral test is here's a patient and you have a, either a fellow classmate or they bring in a patient and they say, this is the, they have knee pain. And so you have to go through a full exam and treatment and what you would do. And they kind of evaluate you on your ability to, to diagnose or determine what's wrong and, and treat appropriately off of that. Um, the differences between the two programs, um, they have a lot more similarities than differences because they obviously focus on techniques. They teach you some different techniques. So the techniques themselves aren't the same, but they're similar techniques in that you're achieving the same thing. So, you know, mobilizing cervical spine to open the joint, it just might be a different approach to do it, but it's still the same end result, which is nice to have, I think, especially coming out of school is to have different tools in the toolbox because there's various factors as to why you would use one technique over the other, you know, your comfort level with the patient, your body size relative to your patient's body size, your patient's, um, tolerance to certain positions, prone, supine, sitting. So there's various reasons why having multiple techniques to accomplish the same goal is beneficial. So kind of learning multiple ways to do the same thing is really good. So even though your end result is the same, learning different techniques, I think is still really good. And you can always improve on that because there might be that one situation where, you know, I as a female could never do it to a male because their body size is too big compared to mine, or I don't have the upper body strength to do it or vice versa. You know, as a female patient, I can do X, Y, and Z to another patient, but as a male therapist doing that technique to a female patient might not be the most clinically appropriate because of, you know, different comfort levels with that and stuff. So there's lots of reasons why learning different techniques is good. Um, and then Based on that, probably the MTI course was a little bit more heavy on the diagnosis and Ola Grimsby was a little bit more heavy on the treatment. So Ola spent a little bit more time talking about which tissue was in dysfunction versus like potentially more of a Saruman approach where the, it, what mechanically is going on um, to whether the joint's not opening, the joint's not closing, where... Ola spent more time trying to decide if it was a bone, if it was the joint, if it was the ligament, if it was the tendon, if it was cartilage. And then based on that, what do you do for treatment? Because the bone heals differently than the tendon versus the muscle versus the ligament. And so depending on what tissues and dysfunction bases, what your treatment protocol will be. And then the other one spent a little bit more time trying to make sure that you could diagnose the movement, which again, two different things, but yet you still have patients that fall into both categories, right? So you have a lot of those orthopedic knee pain patients where they're runners and they are basically getting medial knee pain because of their biomechanic like chain, their lower extremity chain is just in dysfunction. And then you have some people that have knee pain because they have cartilage damage or meniscus damage or you know, patellofemoral syndrome or something else like that, that's a little bit more structural. And how would you change the treatment based on those two things? Gotcha. Yeah. That, um, thank you. That was a lot of information right there to really help like understand the difference, like what it is and, and the difference between both of them. I think that's really important to, yeah, 
to uh, uh, both those I think provide a lot of insight. And also what you mentioned is knowing how to do the same thing in, in variations of things. That's something that we talk about, I say on a regular basis with certain patient populations and what is appropriate for one might not be appropriate for the other, but if you're still wanting to get the same task, how to maximize with what they have, right? You, uh, using what the patient has to the best of your ability to be able to help improve whatever dysfunction that they're having. I feel like that's some, that's something really bi- valuable that I've already learned from you so far. And that's, I feel like sounds like a lot of that came from your schooling and education that you're able to get from that. Yep. There we go. Um, yeah. So for you, as far as once learning it and taking it and, ta- and having those you know, certifications, how has that enhanced your, your clinical skill set? Is that just made it a lot more of a streamlined process in, okay, this is what's going on. This is how I'm going to treat it manually. And then what I'm going to do in the treatment style, or how does that kind of flow? How has that maybe helped simplify things or does it, how does that kind of work in your mind? Um, I think feeling comfortable with arriving at a diagnosis or like a working diagnosis, even if I'm wrong quicker is very helpful because it's just, you have more confidence and you're like, this is what's going on. And that confidence will relay down and trickle down to the patient, right? So if the patient can buy into that, you know, what you're talking about, know how to treat them, kind of give them a timeline of, and again, the timeline for how long it takes to get better kind of boils down, boils back down to which tissues and dysfunction. Cause again, bone heals faster than tendon, than ligament, you know, and kind of knowing this is really kind of what I think is going on. And this is usually how long it takes because this is how long it takes for that tissue to heal. They're going to feel a lot more comfortable and a lot more uh, confident and faithful in like what you're doing and buy into it and be more compliant than somebody that maybe just doesn't get that same feeling from you. So I think kind of that confidence to being able to get there faster and feeling comfortable saying with conviction, this is what's going on. Even if you're wrong, (laughs) it just goes to, you know, leaps and bounds for like the buy-in for the patient. And really it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. If the patient doesn't buy in, you're not going to get anywhere. So if you don't have patient compliance, the outcome is not going to be very good because realistically, whatever you do in the clinic for 45 minutes to an hour, if the patient doesn't do any of the work they need to at home, you're not going to make them better. And if you do, it's going to be a very slow process to get there. Yeah, so that, I think just kind of having that confidence is really helpful. Yeah. hundred percent. I think that's super important. The aspect of that. I mean, hey, at the end of the day, they need to be bought in. I feel like once the patient's bought in and they really are aware and, and know what's going on, if they understand the why behind what we're doing and the reasoning of what's going on, there's so much more of it, a likelihood of, okay, I understand what I'm doing. I want to be able to get to that. And yeah, like you said, those short amounts of time that we see them, although that's impactful, we want to make the most of it to have lasting effects. Ideally, they're going to continue on with these habits that we're helping them create to, to overcome these dysfunctions or to at least have that progress so that it can be accelerated and doesn't have to be as prolonged. So yeah, I think that's something I've definitely learned. Like, early on, like, is that you need that patient buy-in. That's something that if they believe in you, they'll have the, even if it, if it's like you said, you're not hundred percent sure that like, that's the correct thing. They have the belief and they will have that, that desire to get better and that they won't, Oh, I don't need, he doesn't really know what's going on. Or she doesn't know what's going on. Why would I even try to like figure this out? If it's not going to be beneficial to me. Yeah. Like, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Thank you for that. 
And the more you kind of work with the patient and they'll probably tell you more things that would maybe then say like, oh, I wish I would have known that the first day because that would make me think this or make me think that when, you know, as you get to know and know your patient, develop a relationship, you might then go down a different path and say, okay, well, hey, I think that this is not necessarily what's going on anymore. I think it's this. You can always talk to the patient and say, hey, you know, if we're getting better with this, this is looking so much better. And that might be your, what your original diagnosis is. And it can be true or false, but then just kind of trying to, to change the direction, say, okay, well now it's looking like it's a little bit more this, and this is how we're going to alter this. And this is what's going to make you feel better. And this is about how long I expect this to take to make you feel better. And then again, as much as they may or may not know that you're kind of still trying to figure out what's going on, they're still going to be like, okay, great. And you have a timeline. And so they can say, okay, I should expect to feel better in a few days or a couple weeks. And you can still kind of chug down that path, but they haven't lost confidence in you, even though you're changing the path or the direction of treatment potentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, I mean, I think it's really, really important to be able to, to do that and do that in a confident manner that they are continuing, like you said, to, to have that faith with you, yeah. faith in you throughout the process. So, yeah. Thank you for, for sharing those. Another one that also that I wanted to highlight on this episode is that you also are a clinical instructor. You currently are right mm-hmm. now. Um, yep. Tell us a little bit on why you decided to become a clinical instructor. How did that come about initially? Um, I really like teaching and I know typically to be in the uh, actual PT world of teaching, you have to get a PhD, but at this point I really have zero desire to go back and do that. Um, so it's one way to still kind of teach without really having to formally go through all the schooling to do so. Um, and then I like having students in that there are obviously new th- things that are taught and new techniques and new special tests and, you know, everything kind of currently changes in the PT world, right? All the research that's going out. So I guess it's an easy way for me to keep up on research without actually having to do the work for kind of keeping up with the newer techniques. So a little bit selfish. Um, But I think, you know, having some of those extra schooling and kind of the the years behind me now, I have enough experience where I can provide value to a student. So as long as I feel like I still have that and can provide value for them and feel like they have a good experience, I like teaching. But if I ever get to the point where I feel like I can't teach them anymore, or I don't spend the time that I need to, because it's time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. Um, then I probably won't do it anymore. But right now, if I enjoy doing it and I, most of my students come out saying that they had a good experience and they learned a lot, which is kind of the point. So I don't ever want them to feel like it's one of those experiences where they're just like, Oh, I came in and did the work and I left, you know, mm-hmm. just kind of went through the motions. Yeah. So, no, I, yeah. I think that's super important that they're able to get that value of, okay, I'm, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm seeing these, these techniques and these, these skill sets, because yeah, I feel like us early, I mean, I consider myself a new grad and like in students, we have the theory down, right? We understand certain things that we've learned and gained knowledge of, but the application, the clinical experience and expertise, that is something that we don't have. And it's just to be able to learn from people like, yes, in theory, this is what is going, but I found that this is more beneficial than that. We talked about grade three and grade four and trying to find, okay, sometimes patients honestly aren't comfortable with that. And like this certain patient population in a grade four might be a little bit more comfortable. Those things like I, you just don't learn that in school. You learn, you learn what's by the book and the theory behind all of it, but knowing how to apply it. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. 
which is probably why I would, most people would not want me to teach in a university because I would say those things, which are probably not appropriate. And I'm sure any professor would be cringing at some of the stuff I tell their students, but you know, there's a difference. I, I really truly believe there's a difference between the book knowledge and clinical application of the book knowledge. And so as much as we all know the book knowledge, the clinical application of the book knowledge is different. And that's where like, I feel like I help people is, or students, you know, is trying to like break that down and say, okay, how beneficial is that? Like, you know, uh, my student just showed me a technique the other day and I'm like, well, what is that doing? Like, how are you stabilizing? How are you doing that? He's like, well, that's just what I was taught. And I'm like, but you have to know what you're trying to achieve when you're doing something, not just go through the motions of, well, this is what I was taught. So you know, trying to like break that down. And I'm not saying don't do what you're taught, but, you know, use some clinical decision-making as to what you're trying to achieve with that. And then why that could be a good technique or not a good technique. And then kind of working through those things. Cause I never did that in school. I can promise you, I was like every other student, I just did what I was told and that was it. But, you know, being a few years out, you know, having someone challenge you and doing those things, I just feel like you learn so much more and feel more confident in your skills. And I had a CI that was like that, that she gave me a test every week and I had to, to do this test and it just kind of that challenge and push you. Why are you doing what you're doing really makes you understand why you're doing it versus like, well, I don't know. They told me to, if I have shoulder pain to do this glide, well, why mm -hmm. are you doing it? You know? So that's kind of the benefit I think of being a CI is that you get to challenge students and really make them think about it. But then at the same time, like a lot of times the technique is different. You need to be able to say, well, are you able to lock that up correctly versus like, you know, because the textbook says to stabilize here. But then again, does the patient's body type, does the patient's, you know, positioning or tolerance of a position allow for that? And how do you adjust? And then being able to adjust to that because just because the textbook says this is how you have to do it doesn't mean that's how you get to do it every time. Yeah. No. That, and honestly, that's something that I feel like, yeah, you learn certain positions on things, but having to modify things. I mean, as much as I think that like you, I, I feel like I learned a ton, but yeah, learning all the different modifications and nuances and things, it that's so extensive that it's hard for a program to be able to go as in depth with those things, but having that experience, having those time, the continuing education on top of it, are things that can help accelerate and like have us learn those things that otherwise it's just not feasible in, in a program in a DPT program sometimes with preparing us for boards and everything like that. So yeah, that makes yeah. that I really understand. And that's been something that I've found that's been really beneficial to me early on is, is understanding. And like you said, once you understand the biomechanics of things and not just, mm -hmm. this is what, if this patient presents with this, do this, like, okay, well, yeah. why are you doing that? How is, what is changing? That I've really been able to learn. Like I was, I had a, like you said, another clinical instructor that challenged and was able to really kind of explain things to a biomechanic level that really helped me just, uh, I opened my mind up a little bit more and seeing, okay, what am I trying to right. do with this? And how am I trying to move this patient to be able to, uh, to be able to help them with their function or their current dysfunction that they're right. having. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I get it. PT school is designed just to yeah. scratch the surface on a bunch of things. So it's like, I don't want to say that they don't, you know, they're not teaching the correct stuff. It's just, they have to prepare you for multiple fields, but once you decide which field you want to be in, that's when you have to do the coursework or the extra 
continuing education to fine tune that because you basically just scratch the surface coming out of PT school. Cause it, you know, if you decide to go neuro cardio, ortho pediatric inpatient, you know, there's so many different routes PTs can go. So, you know, school isn't designed to teach you everything. They're just, it's designed to teach you enough to get by until you learn all the other stuff in, in the real world. Yes. Yeah. I think that's very well put. Um, for you then another thing is as you've had experience being a clinical instructor, what are some key qualities or attributes that you would say for like the students, if they have those, they tend to excel and really learn and, and make the most out of their, out of their clinical rotation. Some things that you've seen, like if a student comes with these type of traits or attributes or mentality that really helps accelerate them in their growth while they're there. I, I mean, I understand part of the rotations are you have to do inpatient, you have to do ortho and some students have no interest in doing ortho. And I completely understand that. And, you know, those students you can just kind of tell are just there to check the box. And so, you know, I don't, I don't force you to learn anything you don't want to learn. So if you don't have a desire to be in ortho and you're just there because you have to, then we'll get whatever you get out of the experience. Right. And then you have some that are like, I, I'm not sure I want to do this, or this is really what I want to do, but I want to learn everything so I can make an informed decision or be the best I can be out of that. And so when you have kind of those students coming in, like, I want to learn as much as I possibly can, you know, we'll spend the time, you know, I'll make sure we'll spend the time going over techniques or talking through um, differential diagnosis or, treatment progressions and why you do certain progressions over other progressions and how do you normally progress things? And I don't know, whatever, whatever the student needs. And every student is a little different in what area they struggle with the most. And so it's not the same for everyone. So yeah, I try not to make it cookie cutter. Like this is what I teach every time it's different for every student. So I try to tailor it to the student and I try to make the student feel pretty comfortable saying like, okay, if I'm not teaching something the way you want me to teach, cause I know there are different learning styles. Although I will say I have a hard time changing my teaching style, but I try. Um, so if there's a certain way that they want to learn, I try to adapt as best I can to that. And I try to make it their experience. So whatever they want to learn, I will try to teach them to the best of my ability. But I also know that sometimes they're just there to check a box. So I don't force anyone to learn stuff they don't want to learn. Yeah, I mean, that's part of part of it. But yeah, the part that you highlighted about teaching to their needs, I think that's such an important thing that mm-hmm. that you've done that I've noticed that I've been able to learn from, but that I feel like we can even apply to when we're, when we're communicating with our patients, right? Like they're yeah. there because at the end of the day, Yes, their low back pain like, is an issue, but because they can't pick up their and play with their kids or because they want to do this activity, like in the end, it's those things and helping them know, like, okay, this is the need. This is what we're trying to get you back to. And then, and helping them understand, like kind of based off of their needs, what are they, what's their deficit that they're currently facing? And for us, like a student, like what is that deficit the student's facing? How can you best help them understand that so they can have confidence in being able to get that? I think that's something that, yeah, it's, it's really important that you can use them both as a clinical instructor, but also just as a PT with, with your yep. patients. Yep. And you can then translate that over to patients, knowing that you'll have some people that when they come in and they want to know everything about why they have pain, like the anatomy and like how the joints moving that creates the pain and how they can avoid it and stuff like that. And you have some people that truly don't care about that. And all they want to know is how are you going to fix me? 
And some people don't even care about that. They're like, how long is it going to take before I get back to X, Y, and Z? So, you know, I'm not going to sit there and tell a patient about all the biomechanics if they truly don't care. So you can even tailor, you know, all of that gets tailored to each patient, just like it would to a student. So you want to make sure that you understand what's the important factor for your patient um, and then be able to tell them what they need to hear, because that's, what's important to them. You don't want to tell them stuff that they don't care about because they're just going to be bored with it. And they will just say, well, they don't really know how long it's going to take to do X, Y, and Z. Cause you never got to that. Cause you spent so much time going over the anatomy. Now you can, I wouldn't suggest not talking about it at all, but don't spend a lot of time so quickly glance over it, say, here's your, you know, humerus, here's your scapula. They kind of work together to move your arm up. And then if you want to go back to throwing, we have to be able to do X, Y, and Z, and it's going to take about this long. Right. So, but if they care about the anatomy, spend a little more time talking about it and that kind of stuff. So same thing with students. So basically how I treat my patients, I kind of treat my students. What do they want to learn? What do they want to know? Teach that, tell them that. So I kind of approach it the same. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's the best way to do it, to be able to teach the needs of the individual to be able to help them get the most out of that experience. If they, if they are motivated in that learning process and like, okay, this is really like applying to me. I really like connect with this. They're going to, like, they're going to have buy in both in both settings. So that makes, yep. yeah. Like go, going back to what we had talked about per- earlier. Um, and then from there, obviously you've been able to help teach and, and mentor these, these students as they've been out as, as they've been throughout their clinical rotations have you as a follow-up question have you had any mentors throughout your career and what are some of the important things that you have learned from them um so obviously working in the clinic that I work in we see a lot of overhead athletes and probably the one thing I hated the most (laughs) when I got out of school was the shoulder so I really spent a lot of time learning from Keith and Dave um about like overhead throwing athletes and you know, shoulder elbow mechanics and all of that stuff, as well as even Marcus, he's just, you know, a big nut about those things. Um, but the other thing that I find really, really valuable, if you don't have that in a clinic, potentially, um, is just any coworker that comes into your clinic, right? Cause we all have different life experiences. We all have different clinical experiences. So you're going to learn stuff from your coworkers just as much as you are going to learn from somebody that's been out for 20, 30 years. So even if you're in a clinic with a bunch of kind of more newer graduates, like less than five years experience, you're still going to learn a lot from them. So I would say, just make sure that you're open to learning from like kind of anyone in the clinic. Like I will learn equally as much from our ATCs as I do from other PTs, as I do from you know, PTAs, because again, we all have different experiences. We all have different interests. We all have done different things growing up as kids, playing different sports, whatever. So we just have all learned different things. So I, I wouldn't say I had one mentor specifically, but I've had the privilege of working with a lot of really smart individuals. And so over the years, having 30 different clinicians, ATs, PTAs, PTs to bounce ideas off of and work as a collaborative team is just really, really been helpful and beneficial for me. Yeah. I think that is a component that you talked about that you like having people around you and learning from them is such a valuable skill set. I think that's something that I've realized 
that all of these people that I, I've had on the podcast too that are experts in their field, they have surrounded themselves with people that they feel are as smart, if not smarter than them to be able to help elevate them and, and grow. And so I think constantly growing and, and figuring out that each person, like you said, each person has something of value that you don't have, whether it be experience, whether it be uh, like expertise in that and continuing education, whatever it may be, they have that. And just trying to find those things. Cause at the end of the day, those that's, what's important. Like, yes, you could have one specific mentor, like you said, or you could have, you can learn from a lot of people. And I think that learning from those, from those surrounding people, I, especially at our clinic, there's a lot of people that have a lot of experience in different settings. Right. Use right. that. You don't feel like you have to be locked into one. Like, yeah, it's great if you do. And I think that's important to a certain extent if there's certain goals that you want. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot more that you can learn from just by asking the people around you. So that's a great, yeah. great point right there. And then, yeah, as far as an, um, another component of the question, then, so early on in school, you're trying to figure out where you want to go and kind of what you want to specialize in. And coming out, what is something that you would wish you had learned sooner in your career that once you realized, oh man, if I would have learned this back when I was in PT school or as a new grad, that could have really helped accelerate my career or just change how I viewed, how I treated, whatever it may be. What is like that aha moment that you may have had that you wish you could have possibly learned that sooner? Um, well, kind of. So with the COMT, the first one that I did, which was through MTI, I graduated in May, started my first job, like very beginning of September. And I was literally in the class like the next weekend. And at the time, I didn't realize how valuable that was going to be. But looking back two, three, four years after that, it was just such a good experience and being able to like feel more comfortable with my techniques my diagnosis, my evaluation skills, like everything that it was kind of the opposite. I was very fortunate to have kind of been in that situation, but I didn't know how valuable it was until later. Gotcha. Yeah. That's great. I think, yeah, people that are in that mindset of continuing to grow and not, not letting the kind of I'm done with school. I don't need to learn anymore mentality early on. I think that's super valuable. Like you said, you didn't realize it initially because probably you were still in that, in that mindset and that focus of, I need to learn, I need to grow. I don't know a lot. But once you came out of it, you're like, okay, actually, I, I learned a lot in that time. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Perfect. Um, and yeah, is there any other additional advice or information that you'd like to share with the audience that you find value for? Mm, I feel like we kind of, I like, I kind of hit all the, my soapbox box points, I guess, like I have very soapboxy about a lot of things, but I feel like I hit all my soapbox points about things that I find that are beneficial and important and don't shut yourself off from type of things. So no, 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 it's perfect. No, I'm glad that we were able to hit all of them. Sometimes we can't, but that's perfect. Um, Yeah. And then just to, to, to finish up, if someone is interested in talking with you and be able to reach out and maybe have additional questions about the COMT or just manual therapy in general, what would be the best way to contact you? Uh, either email or phone. Doesn't matter. Okay, perfect. And then would it be all right if I put that in the show notes then? Sure. Sure. Okay. Perfect. Well, yeah, Kristen, thank you so much for, for coming on and being able yep. to share um, about like the manual side of therapy, the manual skill sets of therapy. It's something that we haven't been able to talk too much about on the podcast. Mm-hmm. But I've, I've loved learning it and be able to know how we can really make those impacts. Because, yeah, like I've seen that from you, just from 
a lot of people in the clinic, the manual side is something that can definitely provide benefit to our patients and be able to know how to do that. It takes a lot of skill and understanding of the body and anatomy. So yeah, thank you so much for coming on and being able to highlight yep. that. Really appreciate it. Yep. No problem. Okay. Thank you. Have a good one. Thank you too. Thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. I hope you liked that episode. If you did, make sure to subscribe and also leave a review. Thanks everybody and we'll see you next time.